Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Yara Asmar, a multi-instrumentalist, video artist and puppeteer currently living in Beirut with her cat Mushroom. Yara's debut album came out recently on Hive Mind Records, wonderful label. It's called Home Recordings 2018 to 2021 and collates pieces recorded by Yara on phone and cassette over the past few years. Really beautiful selection of music, lots of waltzes as we discuss. There's a real sense of time being dislodged, float in between timelines through non-linearity. The waltzes for some reason feel like partly falling asleep and dreaming of music, but also seem to navigate on diagonals rather than ups and downs. There's this sense of slipping out of your current moment, particularly when you combine it with tractiles like sleeping in church. This sense of tumbling out of one reality and into another. As I mentioned in the podcast, Yara's puppets are fantastic as well. I'll put a link to her Instagram in the show notes so you can check those out too. And we had a great time discussing these records. I really like listening to them. Hope you enjoy this episode. So you can support Crucial Listening over at Coffee if you like and are able, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening, where you can donate one off or as a monthly thing, any amount you please to help support the costs involved in keeping the show ticking. And all the best for the transition between this year and the next one. Thank you for listening as always. Hope you enjoy this episode. This is Yara Asmar on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. So we're here to talk about your three important records. Uh, Before we do, I want to talk about your new album, Home Recordings 2018 to 2021, released on Hivemind Records. Now, I understand with them being home recordings, I've heard you talk about this in an interview. They weren't necessarily recorded with the intention of being widely listened to. So firstly, I'm wondering, how did you go about taking all these recordings? I'm sure there's loads of steps involved, but maybe from a high level. How do you go about taking all these recordings that you've made at home and with the intention of being consumed privately and then turn them into something that, you know, works as a coherent release for other people to hear? Yeah, so what happened was that Mark from Hive Mind Records contacted me I had put out a few drafts on SoundCloud, which was 
usually what I would do is I would record stuff and put them out on SoundCloud. I don't know why I did that because I don't really have anyone on there. <laughs> and he said he was interested in maybe putting together some of these recordings and mastering them. So I sent him a bunch of things and then we went through them. We picked them out together and then he found a good order for them. And then he mastered the whole thing. And he was really helpful throughout the whole process. I, was, um, I wasn't very sure about putting anything out there. And now looking back, I'm really grateful for his support and for him insisting on kind of putting everything out there. Because otherwise, they would have just died in the void somewhere. Hmm. And so um, that, was, that was the first step, I think. Well, the first step was recording them. And then maybe that was the second step. Yeah, on that first step, I mean, what does it look like to have, when you were recording these, and it sounds like they were captured on your phone on a cassette recorder as well. Where and when were you recording these pieces over this, you know, was it a three-year period? Oh, okay. So I, I moved around quite a lot. I changed the apartments a few times. So this was around different apartments and different times in my life. There were little drafts that I was recording here and there. Uh, sometimes sometimes I'd record something and then it would just stay on my computer for a while. And then two years later, I, I'd come across it and and be like, oh, I, I don't remember recording this. Yeah. And then try to restructure it a little bit and see if I can make anything of it. Mostly they were experimentations. I'm not very good at recording things, but the reason... The reason I recorded so many things on tape is that it's it's a medium I understand. It's something that's very tactile and it's easy for me to like it's really straightforward. You know, you you press the record button and then you stop and then if you want to record over it, you just rewind and you do it mm. again. And anytime I looked at any of those interfaces like Ableton or Logic, they just looked really complicated. I mean with time I started uh using them. Too, but before that, it was so much easier to just have this thing in my hands that I could just record over and I could just cut up and loop. Um, I think the fact that it's so tactile is what made it so appealing. And also, well, on the phone, it's very easy to record stuff there. Yes, yeah, speaking of tactility, I mean, you got some awesome sounds on this record that originate from like clearly really, really interesting places. I mean, one actually is your grandmother's old accordion, right? So I understand you found that in the attic uh, of your grandparents' home. Um, so I presume then your grandmother played accordion. Was that something that you knew prior to finding it? Or? Um, well, that was something I found out later on. I didn't know that she played the accordion at the time. When I was younger, I took piano lessons and then I dropped out at some point. Um, and at one point, I think I was 17 or 18. I don't really remember anymore. But um, sometimes I develop these little obsessions. And I, and I just keep thinking about that thing over and over. And sometimes that lasts a week. Sometimes it lasts a month. And uh, at that time, that obsession was the accordion. I was just watching people play it, listening to different records that were recording uh, on accordion. And then I remember one time I was with my mom and I was telling her 
how how much of a beautiful instrument I thought that was and how I really wished I could get my hands on one. And she said, and she was super casual about it, which I'm still shocked anytime I remember, but she, she said, well, we have an accordion on the attic. <laughs> I said, what? And she said, yeah, it's your grandma's accordion. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, I don't know, it's somewhere up there. I'm not sure if it's up there. And then I just... We were we were driving in the car that day, and then the moment we got home, I just ran up. I got the ladder, and I got up, and I just started digging through boxes, and everything was so damp. I remember and going through photo albums and Christmas decorations, and, and finally, I found this big ugly box. It was such an ugly box. I remember I was like, "There's no way this is the accordion," because it was this big gray box. And then I opened it up, and it was actually the prettiest accordion i'd ever seen and it was pretty good condition and then i took it and then i took it to my grandma's and i told her look what i found it's your accordion and she said wow i've been looking for this forever was it yeah so apparently somehow uh, my dad had accidentally taken it and put it on our attic and my grandma had been looking for it and then at some point she didn't really care anymore uh, and I told her, well, here, you can have it. And she said, oh, I have no use for it. You can just keep it. And it turns out her father had bought it for her and her brother. And they used to play around with it a little bit. But she never really like sat down and played it, really. It hadn't been used much, that accordion. That's interesting, because I look at an accordion, having never played one. And it doesn't strike me as an instrument that sort of invites a novice to get to grips with it, right? It seems that there's a lot of technique whenever I watch people playing it um, that you need to kind of have in mind before you have a crack. But I mean, what was it like getting to grips with playing the accordion? At first, it seemed super intimidating. And it was so intimidating that I, I told myself that it was out of tune. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that was the problem. It was... It was in tune it was fine i just told myself i was like whoa no this accordion is not working right you know now i have to find someone to fix it otherwise there's no way i'm ever gonna play it um so i just kept postponing i just kept postponing that so i just had it with me for a while and i was just like this is such a beautiful object but i wouldn't use it it just i would just play little melodies on the right hand side because the right hand side is like a piano right so it's pretty right yeah forward um, but then one, one time when I decided to stop being lazy and I just read a bit about it and actually it's super simple. Uh, it's a really simple instrument because on the left side, um, the buttons are arranged in a way where you have the bass note, the root, the root note, um, major chord, minor chord. So, so basically you just have a bunch of chords aligned next to each other and, um, it's actually super simple. And I remember reading somewhere, I should probably fact check this because I keep saying this to people and it might be completely wrong. But I remember reading somewhere that they didn't allow the accordion in the conservatory until pretty late because they thought it was too simple of an instrument. And oh, that wow. wasn't really considered a serious instrument. That might be completely wrong, though. I don't know. The one other thing I wanted to ask about here, there's loads of questions I could ask about this record, but also I kind of like the arm's length mystique of uh, just getting acquainted with it but waltzes you seem to whenever there's a melody that appears on this record it almost always seems to land in a, a waltz or you know like a th- count of three 
and they have a very very specific feel i'm sure people have thrown these kind of cliches at you before but like you know having very slumbery dreams of like carousels um is kind of where my mind goes without me even being able to intervene so i'm wondering do you have any idea as to why those kind of rhythms seem to be appealing to you and why they appear so much throughout this record i've i've asked myself that and a few friends have asked me that because i i really love waltzes i'm actually something i have to consciously do when i'm writing a melody is to try and not make it a waltz that's (laughs) i've been i've recently been trying to focus on that like okay let's let's just not make this a waltz not everything is a waltz um but i just i just love waltzes so much they're so i think they're so magical and dancey but at the same time like swirly i I don't really know how to explain it. And I think um, I was worried a little bit that there would be too many waltzes in that album. And I thought maybe that could just be a waltzy, a waltzy record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe that could be a thing. And then maybe this is just, I can just get it out of my system and then <laughs> never write a waltz ever again. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, people should check the record out it's so so lovely and we haven't touched on a lot here obviously this is a little intro your puppets are incredible as well people should check out on instagram there's a lot of wonderful content on there related to your puppets too and melding the music in there as well so um yes people go over to hive mind records and check out yara's record it's awesome um so we should go to your important records now yara so one question I like to ask at this point is how you thought about the word important when picking your list. So was there a way that you understood important in order to come up with the list of three records that you did? Um, yes, for me, I just thought important to me or important to to wherever I am musically. Um, it was really, really hard picking out anything because I grew up listening to so many different kinds of music. Um, so many different things and I was and I was just thinking how do I narrow this to three albums and so I tried to just pick three albums that affected how I write and record music it was pretty straightforward how I picked nice okay cool um we can go for whichever one feels right to talk about first so yeah which one do you want to talk about okay maybe the I'll start with the most obvious one, maybe, which is the Apex Twin One. <laughs> nice. Cool. Because I feel like like um, he was such an important artist for so many people. I mean, almost everyone I've met somehow changed their musical vision because of coming across his work. Uh, personally, this was the first electronic album I ever listened to. Before that, it was mostly dad rock and metal. <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was 14, maybe I remember being in bed and finding this weird album. I haven't said its name yet because I still don't know how to pronounce it. And I told myself I would Google that before um, talking to you. And then I forgot to do that. Uh, I think it's a made up word, isn't it? So it's probably um, fair game to, I mean, I'm going to say drugs. Drugs. Okay. Yeah. I think what was so appealing about it was the fact that it had these really nice and soft melodies that contrasted with the 
with the harsher tracks. And if it and if those soft melodies weren't there, then it wouldn't. I don't think I would have given it the time back then because mm. I into anything electronic at all and it was kind of you know when you're a teenager and you're everything's black and white and you're like oh this is real music and this is not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 and so this was the first the first album that i listened to and i was like intrigued and i was like what is this and at first i would only listen to the softer prettier tracks um and then with time i just let myself listen to the whole thing and then i started to find pretty things about every single one of those tracks and then i dived more into his music and although now i wouldn't i don't really listen to any of his work often for me this was a very important point in my life where i came across this specific album because i i don't know if i'd have gotten into any kind of electronic music or if i'd I felt like this opened some kind of door to me. I felt like this was the album that that made me think, okay, maybe I've been boxed in a little bit. Maybe I've been unfair to mm. a lot of beautiful kinds of music that are out there. How did you come to discovery? As you say, you're into dad rock. How did you make the leap? How did this album end up in your possession? Well, the answer is embarrassing, but it's just a guy I had a crush on. Right, right. <laughs> that's fair. I think I, some level, I wanted to like it just so I could, you know, be on the same wavelength with him. But, <laughs> but that's that's cool because I guess that's provided some kind of impetus to drive you back into this record where yeah, maybe absolutely. inclinations were like, "There's just no dad rock in this." There's a desire <laughs> to like want to keep coming back in. That's really cool. This is a really interesting record as well to discover as a first one. Obviously, I listened to this maybe, I don't know, eight years ago. Someone said to me it's really important to them, a friend of mine. And then I listened to it again, obviously, for this. And it is absolutely huge. Like, how long is it? Like one hour 40 or something? Um, do you listen to it? Like when you were listening to it, were you listening to it like all the way through or were you picking tracks out? Like, how would you go about it? So when I first started listening to it, um, just fair warning, I'm going to mispronounce a lot of tracks here. Okay. But when I first started listening to it, I was listening to the more. Actually, now that I think about it, there are some tracks that sound like they were made on music books or a toy piano or just a piano. These were like the prettier more magical tracks to me back then uh so at first this was what i was listening to so the first track which was called something like jin Tech, and then there was one that sounded like it was on an accordion or a harmonium it was called plenty harmonium this one i still listen to sometime i just think it's so beautiful uh, i played on the accordion I, I think it has another name which is qkthr or something mm. So this, I would listen to these ones, to the ones with the piano melodies. And then the first one I actually listened to that, was, that wasn't a sweet sounding track was the Mont Saint-Michel one, which is eight minutes long. And at the end gets really choppy and weird. Mm, yeah. And at the time I was really happy because I'd spent my allowance on these skull candy headphones and I thought it was the coolest. 
for you, did it? <laughs> and and the bass was really strong on those headphones. And I remember just every time reaching the end of this track, it just sounded so great on these headphones. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if they were just really good or it's just that these were my first pair of headphones, but. Um, I got obsessed with how it felt on my ears. And at the, at the end, there's a place where the track gets chopped up and it feels like a stroboscope a little bit, but like for the ears. Yeah. yeah. And I got really obsessed with this feeling where I would replay it and replay it and replay it. And then I started slowly listening to the other tracks. And once, once I did get into everything, um, I would just listen to the whole thing. And then I fell into the rabbit hole of going online and reading what random people say on forums and stuff, like just random facts that you don't really need to know about a record. Like, <laughs> oh, that was that lady's voice in that one track. That's actually his voice, but it's pitched up. And I'd be very happy to know these facts. And now that I look back, I'm, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um I mean, also, this is a perfect record and a perfect artist if you feel the inclination to want to dig into facts and secrets and stuff. Yeah. Maybe not all of it being true, but um, <laughs> there's a lot out there. <laughs> um, where did you go after this record and how did your relationship with Aphex Twin change or develop? Like, What albums did you listen to after Drugs? Um, after, you mean what Aphex Twin albums or, or just... Well, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, what Aphex Twin albums, but also I guess it sounds like you got really fired up by, you know, discovering this uh, affinity with electronic music. So, yeah, where did it take you generally, both in terms of Aphex Twin and, and other artists as well? I'm, I'm trying to remember because I, I don't have a great memory and I was 14 at the time. Yeah, true. And I have this thing where I don't remember things in chronological order. Like, I remember things, but sometimes I don't know what happened before. Right, yeah. okay. But yes, of course, for a while, like any teenager who discovers Apex Twin, I developed a very specific Apex Twin obsession and then I listened to all his albums and read all the things uh, and then slowly started listening to... The other artists that were kind of in the same environment, like Mike Berardinas, and I had a weird side trance phase. I'm not very proud of that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think after this, I went back to listening to um, New Wave and um, post-punk. And well, you know, I think I went through all the regular musical phases that a teenager goes through as well you mentioned that these important albums had an effect on the way that you write and record music mm -hmm. are you able to articulate what that looks like with Aphex Twin and drugs uh, for me this one isn't specifically about how it, it didn't specifically affect how I write or record music as much as it just opened me up to the idea of music that's not maybe made with by four guys one of them on a guitar one of them on a bass <laughs> right right yeah um it was important to me because it it just allowed me to look a bit further than i had been before and to dig into different kinds of things i think what this was an album after i listened to i never again thought oh you know this is 
real music and this isn't real music or I never decided whether something was good or not before I listened to it and I I was always trying to keep an open, open mind when I listened to anything because I never knew what would be my next favorite album. Yara, let's talk about your next important record. Which one do you want to talk about next? So maybe the Colleen album. Mm, Colleen, yeah. Music. Colleen is my most recent find out of these three album albums. Um, what happened was that I had been recording a few things with a music box, and that was before I had released anything. It was still, I would say, three years ago, maybe. And... Um, someone saw that I was working with a music box and they said, oh, you should check out Colleen. I think you'd like her work. And like was such an understatement. I, I fell in love. <laughs> uh, until now, I think this is one of my most played uh, albums. It's, it's just so beautiful. I don't know how to describe it. I really appreciate her work. I really appreciate what she does in that one album with music boxes, but also what she does um, with other instruments, like the hurdy-gurdy, is that what it's called? She yeah. uses it in some yeah. track. I think it also encouraged me to come across this album because I I feel like I felt kind of silly sometimes working with, with music boxes or sometimes when you don't realize that other people have done pretty cool things um, with the same materials that you're using before you before you find that out sometimes you feel kind of like silly or like you're just why are you doing this or like mm -hmm. you're just playing around and then you find someone who's actually done this and they and they've just done something so magical with it and you think okay maybe that wasn't so stupid after all what is it so you said you were already working with music boxes um when you discovered this record and listening to this clean album like it's so obvious why they're so compelling like there's especially the different varietals of music box that i didn't even really consider as music boxes like we got a jack in the box on this one which is kind of a heartbreaking track in a weird way because it never really gets its release but um what what is it for you about music boxes that kind of drew you towards them do you know mm. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do realize that I use a lot of um, childlike timbers in in the music I've recorded so far, mm. uh, like toys and toy pianos and music boxes. And I, at at first, it wasn't a conscious decision as much as it was that I just genuinely enjoyed working with these things. I don't know. I think. I really love the way that the instruments, like musical instruments that are designed for children are made. Mm. There's simplicity to them, but also 
a kind of beauty. The first time I heard a toy piano, um, I wasn't a child, I was an adult. And I saw someone pressing on this keyboard and then you could hear this metallic sound and I was shocked. I said, what is this? And then they said, well, this is a pretty regular thing. It's a toy piano. Like, it's a thing. And I didn't know it was a thing, maybe. Because <laughs> I, I came from a working class family. So it wasn't really, we weren't really like buying toy pianos and spreading them around the house. But <laughs> Right, yeah. I just thought, wow, do kids just have access to these things? And they can just make these pretty sounds with them. So I think it was just like me being excited about these instruments. I'd really like, maybe at some point I'll figure out how to theorize it and have a, an exact reason as to why I use um, music boxes or toy pianos. But for now, it's really just that I like them and I like how they... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've touched on something that I find really interesting, which is you have these things like toy pianos and music boxes and instruments designed for children. As you say, um, particularly, I think, when played by an adult, uh, they are played very differently to how a child would play them. But you're in a strange space there where, you know, they're, they're not really instruments intended for you. So there's a certain happ happenstance that needs to happen for you to even encounter one of these things and sort of use it in a manner which it's not intended for. Because I guess when kids use it as well, I, I have a toddler. And he'll just bash it, you know. So any potential grace that, that, that is possible to be emitted from that instrument is kind of thwarted. So it takes that, you know, contorting the purpose with where we have an adult who's using it, who uh, maybe would play something a bit more graceful to kind of conjure these, 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 these different textures out of it. It's interesting you talking as well about the construction of, you know, children's toys and also the air of childhood, I guess, in your, your music. I mean, do you see that having any intersection with your puppets because when you talk about the kind of charm of the mechanics of how kids toys are, are made and also the childlike texture of the music obviously there's such a huge amount of nostalgia associated with with puppets and and, and childhood as well do you see there being an intersection there um, actually, the the reason that I started recording music in the first place was that I just needed background music for my puppets. Right, right. Um, and I, I was always looking up like Creative Commons, blah, blah, blah. And it was always really annoying music that would come up when I would write like Creative Commons free use music. And then so then I just would start recording something so I could uh, put them in the background of my puppet videos. It's so funny because I just realized that now that this was the only reason I started recording in the first place was it was for the puppets. I don't know. I feel like with puppets, especially the kinds of puppets I make, they're really ugly puppets and really, for me, they're quite funny. Uh, I never found them creepy, but then when I started putting them out there, some people would tell me they found the puppets quite creepy. <laughs> <laughs> for me, they were more like endearing little creatures that had all the faults that all the faults and anxieties that I had, but they could wear them better. They wore them in a way that that wasn't bad. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That each puppet embodies a kind of anxiety and it's lovable because of this anxiety and it's lovable because it's so fragile and sad or or spiteful. Even the puppets that are spiteful um sometimes you're 
at least for me, like I watch them talk and I just want to give them a little hug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know if the the puppets are specifically about. I don't know if puppets were ever um, a childhood thing for me because I don't think I watched that many puppet shows growing up. But um, for me, they were just a thing of their own. They're mm. just puppets. Just like toy pianos were never really a childhood thing for me either because I didn't. I never grew up around toy pianos. I just when I was an adult, I saw and I was so happy and excited when I saw it. It was just a thing that was there. It wasn't a thing in my childhood. As well, to, re to return to the music boxes, um, are there any particular pieces on this clean record that protrude for you as being particularly striking or maybe your favourite? Yes, my favourite is called um, What is a Componium? Mm. Or yeah, I don't know why it's my favorite. It's just very pretty. But that is my favorite. It's the one that I play the most. Although this is one of the few albums where I, I really just play it from start to finish. I don't handpick tracks. You know, sometimes how you listen to albums and after a few listens, you just have your favorite tracks that you start listening to. Mm. But with this one, I think really every time I've just listened to it from the beginning to the end. Mm. Yeah, with yeah. It, this track might be a few times. And that makes sense from the sense that I think this was a commission for a French radio station, right, originally, and then Clean did an hour-long piece exploring music boxes. So I think oh, that's I kind of a... That. Yeah, yeah. I think it then got picked up by the Leaf label who released it without... There were film clips in it originally, so it got redacted a little bit. So there's kind of like an inbuilt coherence to the whole thing as well, which yeah. I guess makes it flow as a single piece. But um, I love Colleen's music I think it's wonderful I'd not heard this one before so I was really grateful that you picked it but are there any other of Colleen's records as well that you really connect with yes because the the first Colleen track I heard it wasn't this album it was called everyone alive once answers mm, yeah yeah I think that's what it calls and that the album that it's on is also quite beautiful was it, I think is it on golden morning breaks I could be wrong Oh, they, they, I think there's an album called Everyone Alive Wants Answers. I think it's the first track on, on that one. Oh, okay. Well, there's also the one called uh, Golden The Golden Morning Breaks. Yeah. And it's really beautiful, too. Maybe I just like her entire discography, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. But yeah, Everyone Alive Wants Answers was the first one that I listened to. And I just fell in love with her. The, when I found this track, I just listened to it over and over and over. And I almost didn't want to check out the rest of her work because I thought there's no way there's something that's as good as this track. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you find this really nice song and then you listen to the band's, the other stuff the band has done. And you're like, uh, all right, it was a one. It was just that one song. Oh, that would be it but it wasn't it at all um, eventually I listened to the rest of her work and I just fell in love with it
Well, let's talk about your final important record, Yara. So, yeah, as you've done previously, give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you too. Yeah, so the last uh, album is Hi, How Are You by Daniel Johnston, which I guess is also a lot of other people's favorites. You know, when I was picking out the albums, I thought, oh, these albums are so popular. Maybe I should pick something more niche. (laughs) (laughs) Then I just thought, I'm just going to be honest. Really, I'm not going to pretend I'm into more niche things um, than I actually am. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about this record. It's for me, it's just so touching and so... Daniel Johnson is an artist that just makes me very emotional, uh, whether it's his lyrics or just how he carries himself or how he sings. Th- this was also one of the albums that were reported to me when I was a teenager. So I think this and the and the effects twin one, these were things that were very important to me when I was growing up, when I was around 14, 15. Mm. Uh, so when I was picking out the albums, it was either going to be Daniel Johnston or uh, The National, because these were the albums I cried the most to when I was a teenager. Do you remember how you discovered it? I think I was just going from one YouTube video to another, just following it to the YouTube black hole of suggested videos. Um, oh, no, actually, I just remembered. I was watching, I watched this film called Medianeras, Sidewalls, uh, and it's this very from what i remember it's this very like you know these films that don't really constantly have an action-packed plot where sometimes it's just still shots and Mm. uh, like a very atmospheric film and then there's a part where this man is sitting in his room and true love will find you in the end starts playing and that's how that's how i heard my first daniel johnson song and I don't know if after this, I can't remember if after this I actively seeked out the rest of his work or if I just came across it when I was on YouTube. Because usually most music that I've come across, I w- it's just through suggested videos and that kind of thing, which yeah. isn't exciting as maybe <laughs> going to the record store and getting a CD, but like it is what it is. I don't know how many of his records that you've heard. I'm gonna confess like i have friends who were really into daniel johnston i've never listened to one of his albums all the way through so this was my first occasion of doing that but um were there any other records for you in the mix was it always going to be hi how are you or could it have been any others no there is another one that i wasn't sure whether to pick this one or that one it's i need to remember the name it has that one song where it goes sometimes i feel like I am a boxer. Um, <laughs> which album was that? The song is called I'll Do Anything But Breakdance For You, Darling. And uh, that album I really loved, but sometimes I forget the album names. Uh, but I got into a bunch of his albums back then. Um, Yip Jump music and Songs of Pain, Don't Be Scared. Yeah, there were a few. There were a few. I don't know. I I think I could have picked any of his albums, but this one is the most, the one that feels the most like you're listening to a friend. Like, to me, it feels like a friend sending you a voice note. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's why I picked this one because it feels even more personal than the rest of his work, even though his work in general is quite personal. Uh, do you have a favorite track? Yeah, it's uh, Hey Joe is my favorite track. Or And Walk- Walking the Cow. I also really like that one. Do you have any idea what makes them stick out for you? And it's always hard to articulate these things. It's For me, it's just the way he sings. Um, there's something very special about the way he sings. It's not even, it's not even about the lyrics. Like I know how sometimes it's it's really that the lyrics touch you, but for me, it's just the music and how he sings and this very Dan Johnston way of singing his songs. And I'm sorry, I'd like to have more to say about this. I just feel I, I'm not very good at articulating sometimes why why something touches me. Um, I just know that it does. I mean, I'll let you into something, Yana. This whole podcast is a total farce because I think it's... That's how it works, is that just things don't really have a justification. (laughs) (laughs) This is very much me just rolling around the edges of the thing. I do Um, like to be more eloquent. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um... I mean, one thing that really struck me about this record is how his voice kind of melts into the tape. Like, yeah. uh, it's there's one, and I don't know if you know what the deal is with this, but there's one which is like a big band track. Shit, yeah. what's it called? Um, oh, Desperate Man Blues, that's it. Oh, yeah, that one's really... Okay, actually, maybe that's my second favourite track. <laughs> Do you know how we, how we did that one? Because... Obviously, like, everything's him playing stuff um, quite crudely uh, or just doing a cappella, and then you get what I presume is this, like, pre-recorded instrumental jazz number. Like, I don't Do you know anything about that one, like, how he went about it? I never read much about him or about his work. I never really wanted to ruin the magic of his work, ever. so I never went out and read much about it. Huh, Interesting. But yeah, how how did it come about? Um, no, I don't know. This is the thing. Like, it's a really strange. I wonder if he just found like an instrumental jazz piece, but it's got well, the sense. I thought, of... I thought you were gonna have this amazing fact. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, not. No, I mean, I did watch the documentary about him. Have you seen the Devil and Daniel Johnston? No, no, I haven't. I think because I know that I know there are documentaries out there. I know you can read a lot. I've accidentally read some facts about him in youtube comments which obviously are the most reliable reliable source of information <laughs> like like this one guy wrote that um that he would individually record each cassette and give it to his friends because he yes. did not get tapes i don't know how how accurate that was but yeah yeah that's yeah that's true but i think this is also one of the people who i really I really didn't want to ruin the connection I felt with his music. I don't know if that makes sense. I didn't want to know more about him as a person or a, or read more about him. Maybe I should have, but cause it's the same with Colleen. I think I, I never really went in and read more about her personal life. Or For me, it was just the work itself was so touching that I didn't want to almost tainted by attributing it to a person even though i know it's a person who made it 
Yeah, that's really that's really interesting because it sounds like with the Aphex Twin album, the inclination was the entire opposite, right? It was like yeah, it was the entire opposite. <laughs> um, and do you think that's just down to the kind of music? I guess there's a fragility with Daniel Johnston that isn't so much there with Aphex Twin. Yeah, I think that's what it is, and I. I didn't really cry to that Apex Twin record. Like it was, it was a door, a doorway to other kinds of music. But it, it never touched me so much that I cried. Maybe there was one track uh, called Stone and Focus where maybe, maybe I cried. I can't really remember. But it was always more like, oh, this is this is nice. This is interesting. I love this. Um, but mm. with Daniel Johnson, it was more like I. This man, it feels like this man is wringing my heart like a towel. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it never stops. You know, sometimes you listen to a song and it affects you once or twice, but but then other songs, they just have the same effect forever. It never never gets less uh, emotional Mm. than the first time I listen to it. And I think that's one of those records for me. Yeah, is it a record that you still listen to now? Yeah definitely and has your relationship with the record changed over time you said you were 14 i think when you first discovered daniel johnston and maybe this record like do you relate to it differently now do you think compared to back when you first discovered it no i think i mean of course i've i've changed a lot since i was 14 but um I feel like the the kind of loneliness you experience when you're 14 and when you're 20 and you're 25, um, it's always the same one. And so th- this is why I don't feel like my relationship with it has particularly changed because I feel like the the parts of me that it touches on are parts that were always there and are probably always going to be there. I think the kind of vulnerability that he, he put into this record and into a lot of um his other work is just it feels to me really universal and really personal and and really like just these feelings that no one talks about because they don't really know how to talk about them Mm. but but they're there always so no i don't think uh, my relationship to it has changed i think every time i listen to this i'm 14 and i'm 16 and i'm 25 and and do you have any specific memories? Like when you listen back to this record and you think about, I don't know, initially discovering it, um, like put me there, where are you listening to this record? I guess there's not so much skull candy bass on this one. Where are you? Like, how are you listening to it? What kind of memories come to mind? Um, I think what's nice is it's when you listen to um, an album so many different times in your life it's a bit like a what's it called like a time machine it, mm-hmm. and it exists simultaneously in all those different timelines like whenever i'm listening um to this album i feel like i'm also the 14 year old that was listening to it in her bed and just daydreaming about leaving the house one day <laughs> i think one thing that that happens sometimes is sometimes i'm listening to it and i just think about how different how different things are from 10 years ago and i don't know i think sometimes you you're you're a teenager and you're listening to this album in your bed and you never think you're gonna actually leave your small town or leave where you are and then they 
one day, 10 years later, you do and you don't, you didn't really realize that this was happening. It just, it's as if it just happens. And then these two timelines exist at the same time. I, I know that what I'm saying makes absolutely no sense. I don't know, absolutely. <laughs> it's like a stream of, stream of consciousness kind of thing, maybe. Yara, this has been ace. I've loved talking about these three records, your new record as well. I could have asked a bazillion questions about that. Like I say, I really hope people go and check it out. Thank you very much for your time and energy. It's been wicked. Thank you so much for your time. And to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye.